Hello, colleagues. Welcome to Social Work 864 podcast, Policy Analysis Actualized. This podcast is all about policy analysis and practice. We will be talking with various leaders in the policy arena about strategies for effective social policy design, advocacy, implementation, and evaluation. With us today is Dr. Larry Owens. Welcome, Dr. Owens. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. So let me give you a little context for our discussion. This class is an advanced policy for social work practice class and is one of the foundational courses in our Doctor of Social Work program. Our goal for this class is for DSW students to explore the cyclical relationship between social problems, practice, and public policies through a deeper examination of the various approaches to policy analysis and the interdisciplinary efforts of the process at all levels, federal, state, and local. We are nine weeks into our course and students have been reading about different approaches to policy, matching policy to problems, cost-benefit analysis and risk, policy-making, and policy advocacy. Students have also had the opportunity to hear from Dr. Brad Forenza about policy and social work practice, Louisville Metro Councilwoman Nicole George about policy at a local level, and Kentucky State Representative Attica Scott about policy at the state level. Today, we are wanting to have a deeper conversation about policy and advocacy. So thank you for joining me today to share your knowledge and expertise. If we could start with introductions, would you share with our students who you are, a bit about your career path, and your perspective on the importance of policy? Okay, well, thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. I feel um, very, very honored that you asked me to do this. Um, I am currently Associate Professor of Social Work at uh, Western Kentucky University. I've been there about 11 years and I teach uh, primarily practice courses and policy. And I'm kind of the, the person who oversees the policy section of our BSW program there at WKU. Um, before moving into full-time teaching, I worked for about 28 years um, in social welfare practice, uh, primarily in child welfare in the private sector. So I've been a program director, administrator, uh, overseeing programs um, for children in foster care, adoption, independent living. I helped start a counseling program um, and uh, run a residential program. My dissertation uh, for my doctorate is on residential care and the um, <clears throat> the perception of residential care within the profession. So I've been uh, in social work practice for quite a while. Uh, my interest, I've always had sort of an interest in policy. I, rem- I was thinking in preparing for this about, I remember in the 70s of uh, I guess it was in the summer when school was out and I would watch TV. And I remember watching Ted Kennedy uh, do a speech on the uh, Senate floor about a universal healthcare system. And I remember thinking that makes a lot of sense to me. And again, as a teenager watching this person do it, 
Later, when I was in college, I became very interested in the news and current events. Um, but I didn't really get into the policy area until later when I became an administrator and then now in teaching of recognizing the importance and impact that it has not just personally, but also professionally. Great, great, thank you. You know, uh, what struck me, one of the things that struck me that you talked about was this, uh, uh, you know, some newer awareness early on, but really it sounds like the bigger awareness of policy implications you said came to play when you began, became an administrator. Um, and I think that's something that we talk a lot about is this sometimes this disconnect for clinicians and direct practitioners in social work practice to policy. Um, is that, and, and, and just reflecting on my own experience as a clinician, I felt like because uh, for me as a social work practitioner, because I came from an integrative program, I had a better awareness as a clinician around policy and its implications than perhaps some of my friends who came from psychology or professional counseling that they didn't have those aspects. And so when I did my, when I was doing clinical work is when uh, managed care came to came over, taking over Medicaid for Kentucky. And so we had to really start to understand policy because it had a direct implication. So I, I, I say all that to say, you know, as, as an educator of social work practitioners um, and when you were an administrator, were there strategies that you utilized to help kind of bridge that gap in the knowledge from direct care staff and clinicians to have a better understanding about policy? Well, yes, yes and no, some. Um, well, first of all, I was thinking, I know with my students, many of them don't like policy. Mm -hmm. They don't really like it, don't enjoy it, and they just want to help people. And I think I probably had a fairly similar experience as well. While I always enjoyed politics and enjoyed um, public policy, I wasn't really quite into it um, until later. And, and probably the time it hit me the hardest was uh, in the 80s uh, when we passed, or in 90s rather, when we passed the Adoption and Safe Families Act, mm -hmm. uh, ASFA. And that completely changed our world in child welfare. And I remember looking back going, wow, why didn't we see that coming? Um, because suddenly um, working in residential care and in foster care, suddenly there was a whole new mindset about that. Mm -hmm. And we were really scrambling um, to, to understand it and react to it. And working in the private sector, our primary contract was with uh, the state. Mm -hmm. And they would interpret things one way, and we would interpret them differently. And so that's where I had to become very, very knowledgeable about the background, the history, where this is coming from, and what their interest is. So often what I was seeing were people 
were getting into positions and fighting it out. And instead, I tried to look at, okay, so you're saying you want this, but what is it that you really want? Mm -hmm. And then how can we work together on that? And another thing that sort of happened around that is there's policy, there's, there's the law, there's in Kentucky is KRS, Kentucky Revised Statutes, but there's also the KRS, the Kentucky Revised Statutes, or the administrative regulations. And that's where you take the law and then you say how you're going to implement it. And so sometimes the real impact comes on working on those regulations. And that is up for interpretation. So what I tried to do was to work with our partners, with the state, in writing those regulations. We read the law. They might say, well, this is what we have to do. And I said, well, we could look at it this way and put the regulation in that format. Still meets the law. It just changes it a little bit. Um, and so that was one policy way in which I felt like I um, really got into um, partnering with our our uh, partners with around that. And that you know that takes us right into some of the other questions I had around policy advocacy in, in your work as an administrator. That's a great example of the the work with the state. Um, how? How did you find that collaboration? Was the state um, open and attentive to hearing feedback from stakeholders and community partners? Um, did that, you know, uh, I've had conversations with other guests about having a social work lens um, when we talk about policy versus different uh, these interprofessional groups that we're with that might come from economics or come from other type of regulatory bodies and how how do we collaborate and find common ground and make sure that our voice is also heard so mm-hmm. I'm wondering about your experience in working with with diverse groups that have different perhaps agendas regarding a particular policy and, and navigating that to to mm-hmm. find a common ground. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of thoughts. One, everything is sort of based on relationship. And so getting to know people and this, I think this is even more so true today there's been, you know, I guess I'm old enough now to where I've, I've kind of seen how things have changed. And today things are so divisive and they are so um, red and blue. They're, they're just so divided. And it, it didn't feel like it used to be that way. I, I know that maybe that was there, but not as much. And it really was about relationships and about um, talking to people, knowing who you're talking to for one. So, you know, I might go and meet with someone and I, I kind of would want to know a little bit about that person before I went to see them. If they're 
a huge UK fan, I don't wear a Louisville shirt, you know, <laughs> I don't wear red. I mean, it's just, right. it's, it's knowing who you're talking to. Right. And, and then the other thing is, what is it that they really want? What, what is their interest and how can we get to that? Again, it's position versus interest. And we get so caught up in the polarization in the, in the position that I'm going to take. And I fail to look at what my interest is. You know, maybe one, one example um, might be marijuana. Mm -hmm. When you think about the fact that marijuana is being um, legalized around the country for recreational, for medical use and all that, I don't know that I would ever have seen that happen, but I think people actually in both uh, camps, both conservative and liberal and, and otherwise, have looked at the interest of that. Why are we spending so much right. on incarcerating people? Um, there's a revenue stream there. <laughs> there, you know, and they really looked at that and they were able to come together um, and agreeing on, on how to respond to that. Um, so anyway, that, that's how I tended to approach it is relationship and what is the interest, not the position. Great. Those are great examples. Um, and, and I really, I like that, that framing of interest versus positionality. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I, I would imagine because of your work in child welfare, that a lot of your advocacy and collaboration was at a state level. Did you have much experience in, in those uh, type of networks and, and collaborations at a local or a federal level? Um, not as much. Um, a little bit. I used to go to a conference every year through the Child Welfare League of America, and I was a part of them on their National Committee on Residential Care. So we were helping to write policy and advocating on behalf of um, that issue uh, in Washington. And then, well, in Kentucky, the, the state is broken down into regions and even at the county level. So I would work very closely with people in Jefferson County, which is where you know, I live, and, um, and most of the time that was implementing state policy at the local level, because even in Kentucky, sometimes each region or each state might do things a little differently, and it makes sense. You're going to do things differently in Louisville than you are in Pike County or Paducah or, right. or whatever, so you do have to shape that a little bit based on, on where you are. Did did your did the manner in which you engaged um, in in these collaborations vary? Obviously, the focus varied whether it was local, state, or federal. But in terms of strategies and skills of that engagement process, does that change um, in terms of what level of government you're engaging with? Well, I think, you know, at the local level, it can be a little more personal um, because you um, you sort of work with these people and you see them every day mm -hmm. um, and maybe a little more of on a um, first name basis. 
uh, versus at the federal or maybe even at the state level. It's a little more formal. When you go meet with the legislator, you know, you're lucky to get 10 minutes. I mean, probably five is is going to be the most you'll get. So, and you tend to use titles a little more and, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it's a little different. Um, yeah. At the, at the local versus a state or federal level. Okay. How has your involvement in policy advocacy shifted since transitioning from being in a social service leadership now into academia? Well, obviously, I'm in an education role now and um, trying to help energize and excite students uh, about policy. And so I think I'm more aware personally um, about this because I I teach it. Um, There is a little bit of a status with being a professor. Um, that goes along with that. And so sometimes you can use that voice uh, to advocate for certain things. Um, It just sort of goes with the position. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I've been doing in in my policy class is I have the students work on in groups on a uh, presentation, well, on a policy issue come up with a recommendation, and then I invite a legislator, an actual legislator to class for them to present their idea to. And I do that for a number of reasons. I want the students to have actual exposure to a legislator and kind of realize they're not a green-eyed monster. They're just (laughs) a person like we are, you know, and I want them to see that. But it's also equally, I want that legislator on our campus. I want that legislator to see what we're doing so that perhaps one day when they're voting on, a, on um, legislation that has to do with funding for universities, they might remember the students that they were with. Also, it gives them a chance to hear about the issues that are important to students and young people. And I think that's really good for them to know because you're going to hear about um, things with the people that you come in and come in contact with. So if they are being exposed to students, then they hear the issues that are important to them. So I do it for a number of reasons and Um, It's been very exciting to do that. And we also take students to Frankfurt every year uh, for Advocacy Day, and they uh, meet with legislators. That's uh, great. Um, That's really exciting that your students have that opportunity. Yeah. Because, you know, I can even think in my practice days of going, uh, we would go up for the 874K rally in Frankfurt every year. Mm -hmm. And um, so many practitioners not having been exposed to anything like that, just got really anxious about, well, what do I say? And how do I talk to Mm -hmm. people? You know, Mm -hmm. it is that this untouchable, you know, legislator, I don't know how to talk to them. Right, Other people. (laughs) Yeah, they are. (laughs) They really are. Yeah. um, and, And even people that are, of maybe a different party than you or have mm-hmm. a different philosophy uh, than you do. It, there's just something different about 
being in their office, seeing pictures of their kids, mm-hmm. um, and realize that they are not monsters. They right. are just people like us. And um, yes, we view things a little differently. So where can we find our common ground and work toward a, a common toward the common good? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So in part of our course, our students have been exploring the community toolbox on organizing for effective advocacy, which is a service of the Center for Community Health and Development at the University of Kansas. In this toolbox, it includes information about advocacy research, providing education, direct action campaigns, media advocacy, and responding to the opposition. Uh, What are some of the approaches and or strategies you have used in the advocacy process as an agency leader, what might guide you to choose one strategy over another? Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, you know, let, let me acknowledge that I am a white male. And with that, there is a certain level of privilege mm-hmm. that I have. It's not right. It's not fair but it does exist. And I think understanding that, that sometimes I do get into doors that maybe other people don't. And um, so is there a way I can use that for the positive? Now, it also can exist that because of that, some people might be suspicious of me as well. So I have to accept that as well. But I, I, I do think sometimes I can get into the door. I can, um, someone might return my call or they may give me a little more attention because of that. It's not right, but it does exist. So how can I use that to my advantage, and not my advantage, but for the issue right. or concern that, that I'm approaching. And, and again, that, that comes to the, um, to back to the relationship issue. Mm-hmm. Another thing, when I was getting my MSW, I'll, I'll never forget, um, I guess probably in policy class, um, one of the professors made the comment that we always want to start at the point of least resistance. And I've never forgotten that. And I think about that with policy, that if there is something that we want to change, how can we approach and go for that at the point of least resistance that causes people um, the least amount of conflict and stress and that type of thing. If that doesn't work, then we step it up and we go to the next level. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't work, then we go to the next level. Mm -hmm. And I've always tried to approach it from that point, assume that the person shares my um, desire to come up with a solution, a good solution for the common good, and go in with that in mind, that we are going to be in agreement. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't happen, then we, we go up. One of the things I see is, and maybe again, it's in the current environment of things, of we immediately want to march and burn the place down. Now, there is a very, very important role for um, uh, 
for protest. Absolutely, it needs to be a part of what we do. But in my view, we don't start there on, on most issues, that we start at the point of least resistance and move um, from there. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I've, I try to approach is personally, I have a real interest in international issues and I've traveled fairly extensively and, and all. And whenever I go to a country just in preparing to go on vacation to Portugal, you know, I will read about their policies in Portugal so that when I'm there, I'll talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. And um, for instance, I, I know in Lisbon, I was at a laundry. I was doing my laundry one day and a young man came in and so he spoke English. And so I started asking a question, tell me about your healthcare system. Is your, is your uh, college paid for? What, do you, what about childcare? And just learning about their policies in their countries. Mm-hmm. And then whenever I have that policy assignment that I mentioned um, where the legislator comes, one of the things I have the students do, whatever their issue is, I want them looking at other countries as well mm-hmm. to see what they're doing. I do mm-hmm. think that's important for mm-hmm. us to learn from, from others. If you're going to do anything around criminal justice, you need to know what's going on in Scandinavia. It is a completely different system there. And I think we can learn a lot from that. Um, so anyway, so I, I, I constantly push and look at um, an international perspective as well. That's, that's really, that's great. That I don't think that is common, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and definitely needed, especially uh, where we are today um, and, and how interconnected our communities are globally. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I love that you do that. Um, you know, one of, I think one of the things that, um, and, and we talked about this a little bit already, but, you know, as you network, and, and in particular, if you're advocating for a policy or, or the examples you gave of coming up with the helping to develop the administrative regulations mm-hmm. around a policy, you have different people with different viewpoints. And like you said, you're trying to find that common ground. Mm-hmm. Um, what Do you have uh, any additional thoughts or suggestions about how you navigate the varied perspectives to get to that common ground? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, not not really, other than, you know, again, what I've said about relationship, about, I, I don't know, maybe just approaching it that we have the same interest, that we want to make conditions better for, in my in my. Um, experience for children. We just want to make life better for kids. Mm-hmm. And how can we how can we do that? And trying to separate ideology mm-hmm. from the practical. 
And again, back to the marijuana thing, it, I think you just look at that and from an ideological perspective, mm -hmm. most people would say, no, we don't do that. That's wrong, whatever. But from a practical perspective, um, can we look at other solutions that are workable, mm -hmm. that meets our interest of having a, a safe and healthy um, community, um, and in having a safe and, and healthy community? So ideology versus the practical. So I tried to go with the practical. Right, right. And I, I think that's a that's a good um, delineation there because I think mm -hmm. that's where we get stuck is people yeah. get stuck in ideology and then mm -hmm. just kind of ground your feet in and 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 you're missing you're missing the ability to find that common ground. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so Dr. Owens, I know you've been involved personally in uh, politics at a local and state level, advocating and campaigning for different local and state leaders. Um, what parallels would you draw between that work and work you've done around policy advocacy? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think to, again, it, politics is often seen as a dirty word. And politics is just about getting stuff done. It's, it's just negotiation. Uh, now, you know, one another dirty word right now is compromise. And, um, and copper, you've got to find a way to get to a solution. And sometimes that calls for compromise. Mm -hmm. That's where the ideology versus the practical comes right. into play. And so um, I've really enjoyed getting to know the political process and because it, that really is about meeting people and, and hearing their interests. And it, it really is on the ground. And, and that's really exciting um, to to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. um, oh, one of the things I was, I was thinking earlier um, is another thing <laughs> in um, meeting with legislators and with talking to policymakers is it's important to, to, to try to approach it from how will this be in their best interest as well? Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to talk to someone about an issue, um, we'll say um, number of abuse cases, child abuse cases, I will want to know how many children, uh, reports of abuse there were um, of children in that legislator's district. Yeah. I want to know that. I want to know how many children are in foster care uh, in that person's district. Mm -hmm. And that gets it right down to where they are. Right. It's also a voter. And, and so um, one story, uh, one of the um, lobbyists, that's a friend of mine uh, in child welfare, was telling me that she uh, went to meet with a legislator and, uh, the legisl and she knew him and she had an intern with her. And the legislator 
they went into the office and legislators said, okay, well, you know, tell me what you want to tell me, but I'm going to be checking email, but I'm, I'm listening to you. Don't, don't worry. And was kind of multitasking, said it was actually kind of rude, but she, um, so she said, okay, well, you know, it's good to see you. Thank you for your time. Oh, by the way, this is my intern. She actually lives in your district. She said the legislator immediately got up out of his chair came around, sat right next to them and said, okay, tell me what you're interested in. Uh-huh. Once he knew he had a voter in the room. Right. And so that's just a reality. Um, and But it is a strategy you can sometimes mm-hmm. use um, to get someone's attention by how does that affect their constituents directly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, no, thank you for that example. Uh, when we did advocacy, at the the mental health rallies in Frankfurt, that was one of the things that we were intentional about trying to um, encourage clients who were open and willing to talk to legislators um, to mm-hmm. do that to to, mm-hmm. to set up appointments for the their legislators um, in their district. Um, right. And, and the ones who, who did participate found it very powerful and eye-opening. Um, yeah. You know, the validation for someone who's struggling with mental health issues to have the floor and undivided attention of their legislator. Um, and, and you're right, it was very much because they were a voter. Mm-hmm, exactly. As yeah. opposed to me, the you know paid social worker who comes in and is trying yeah. to be where I could be easily, more easily dismissed. Absolutely. And I do think there's, there is, you know, the element when you're looking at something at a state level, um, you know, people from rural Kentucky sometimes resent people coming from Louisville mm-hmm. out to tell them how to do things, or they are suspicious that we, people from urban areas may look at them, look, try to look down on them or whatever. And so, yes, it's important to have local people. Um, and, and who best, it's the same with clients, you know, with clients, who best understands that client situation? It's the client. Right. And, you know, the same thing. Who best understands the issues that exist in, in the community than the people who are in that community? Absolutely. We can learn from other places. I'm, the international perspective, we can learn, you know, from other countries. But the solution often um, is right there in that mm-hmm. community. Absolutely. Dr. Owens, do you have any, you know, final thoughts or words of wisdom that you would share with social workers, doctor level social workers who are, you know, moving into, many are already in leadership uh, arenas now, but wanting to, to take their, their, their voice, their, their um, practice even further. Any, any words of wisdom that you would offer them? Mm. Um. Well, I, I appreciate the fact that they are getting the degree and, and doing this. I think that um, we need good, strong leaders um, from a social work perspective um, in our communities, in our organizations, um, and in the advocacy work. One of the things I would say is sometimes we become overwhelmed by it all. And we feel like 
we have to do everything. And it really is a mosaic of effort. And one strength may not be in all those areas. It will not be in all those areas. So what is your strength? What is your piece in the mosaic? And so, you know, you likely will not lobby all, I don't know, 120 state legislators in Kentucky. You're not going to be talking, but you can identify your legislator or you can maybe two or three people that you can focus on, that you can target, that you can develop a relationship with and do that piece because somebody else is doing the other. Mm-hmm. And so don't get overwhelmed. Just do what you can. If it is writing letters, if it, it is um, maybe leading a protest or, or something, but don't get overwhelmed by it all. It, it calls for um, us all doing little pieces. Mm-hmm. And then the second is, I think we need to have a long view. We need to think about policy work as something that takes place over an extended period of time. It's laying the groundwork. I know here in Louisville, uh, when we passed the fairness ordinance, um, that was, that ordinance passed after about 12 to 15 years of work, Mm -hmm. of laying the groundwork um, toward the eventual um, passing um, of that legislation. So take the long view. Hopefully, you know, as you start working on an issue, you can make a change soon. But more than likely, it's going to take some time. Mm-hmm. Just don't give up. Stick with it. Um, and hopefully you can bring on a, enough others with you um, through that to, to make the change. That's great. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Dr. Owens, for taking the time to talk with me today about policy and advocacy. I appreciate the conversation, and I know it's going to be fruitful for our students in terms of deepening their thinking around policy analysis and advocacy. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Kentucky College of Social Work. Fully online or face-to-face, leading social work education for over 80 years. Find out more about the UK College of Social Work online at socialwork.uky.edu.